Welcome to the Predictable Designs Podcast, where it's all about creating and selling successful new electronic hardware products. Here's your host, engineer and entrepreneur, John Till. Welcome to the Predictable Designs Podcast, where we discuss all things related to developing, manufacturing, marketing, and selling successful new electronic hardware products. I'm your host, John Teal. On today's episode of the Predictable Designs Podcast, I've got Charles Lin from Tech Design. And Tech Design is a company based in Taiwan that helps startups develop new hardware products. And they have an, an interesting, slightly different approach to development. And I thought their model would be interesting uh, to be presented to listeners. So I've invited Charles on to the podcast to talk about what they do. And then we're also going to get into some other topics like uh, suggestions on how to pick the right supplier. So welcome to the show, Charles. Hey, nice to uh, be here. Pleasure. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And we've uh, obviously spoken a few times before. So it's uh, nice to officially have you on the podcast. And yeah. so... Yeah, let's just kind of jump right in. We can, if you could maybe just tell everyone a little bit about tech design. I don't want to, obviously, this isn't going to be a, a sales interview. So, but I want you to, I want people to know a little bit about tech design and then we can kind of get into sort of your, your model and, and how you, how you get products developed, which I, I think is kind of interesting and could be beneficial to a lot of listeners. So if you could maybe briefly tell us about tech design and then what, what your model is and, and how you guys get uh, product development done. Sure, happy to. So I think the overall concept behind tech design is that there are more and more tools for hardware innovation out there now, right? Like development boards, 3D printers, crowdfunding, and great online content like you know the Hardware Academy, et cetera. And thus, more and more of this innovation will come from individuals rather than large corporations. So what we wanted to do was make it easier for all these new innovators to actually realize their products, to help them find the design and manufacturing partners that can help them to produce their products. And as much of the supply chain for electronics, as you know, is in Asia, we wanted to make working with these suppliers more accessible for hardware innovators. So our goal is really to take care of the supply chain aspects for you so that it kind of frees you up to do the sales and marketing and funding and all the other customer-facing aspects of the business that are kind of more central. Gotcha. Um, yeah, well, I, I definitely agree with your, your statement that I think innovation is, is coming from individuals and not large companies as much anymore. Obviously, it comes from both, but I think that the future lies in innovation among individuals. So I, I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah. So, so as far as you... So, Tech design, first of all, do you only specifically focus on development or do you also help set up manufacturing? Yeah, we, we do both. Pretty much anything involving hardware development from you know concept through manufacturing, we have suppliers that can kind of cater to whatever needs you are you have. Right? So let me give you an example about how, how it works. Um, a startup or hardware innovator will just come to us and tell us about their idea kind of the functional requirements, the quantities, the time frame they have in mind, and what kind of suppliers, technology, and services they're looking for. So our team of hardware experts then look within our network of verified suppliers and find the best match for them based on the technology and services they're, they're looking for. And we have a network of over 500 suppliers, primarily based in China and Taiwan, and really a wide range of technologies and capable of doing you know, industrial design, circuit design, mechanical design, 
app development, manufacturing, really just anything related to hardware development. And once we find that there's a good match and there's interest on both sides, we then put the, the two together and they can start talking, working directly. Together. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, just so there's no confusion, listeners may be thinking, that they think of developers being different from suppliers, but this is actually one of the strategies that I've mentioned getting a product development is to find an existing manufacturer and then work with them to develop the product. So as you're kind of mentioning, most suppliers in Asia, at least from my experience, most of them are are will be interested in modifying an existing design or doing custom design if they think that's going to, you know, turn into to future orders for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I'm glad you brought up the, you know, kind of existing design concept because oftentimes you don't need a brand new design, but you can leverage an existing electronic design either, you know, off the shelf as is or customize it slightly for your product. And so, so in order to kind of cater to that need, what we've also developed is a hardware solution library, and it basically takes a lot of our suppliers, you know, thousands of solutions, and then puts them in one place so that you can find what you're looking for, right? If you leverage the solution, it reduces your development costs, your time to market, etc. So oftentimes, we'll have a, a startup come to us and sort of say, hey, this is what we're looking for. And, you know, do you have a supplier like this? And then we'll kind of say, well, hey, there's, there's this offline, off-the-shelf solution that's pretty close to what you're looking for. You know, maybe you use that to, to do your prototype or maybe you use that and then you, you find, hey, I just want to customize two or three aspects for my, my local market and then, you know, I can, I can go from there. And so for people, if you have relatively smaller development budgets, that's often the most feasible path to realize your product. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, why I've recommended it in the past, but that was more you finding an individual supplier and having to reach out to them and negotiate that instead of going through a, a company like Tech Design. So it's it's definitely, I think, one of the the more reasonable ways to get a, a product developed, at least especially like a, a very early minimum viable product without having tons of custom development. Because from exactly. my experience, suppliers, if they sell something similar to what you want, then the, the cost that they're going to charge you to produce a custom version of that is going to be an order magnitude cheaper than if you would have tried to do it from the, the ground up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it sounds like the, the companies that you work with, they're all more manufacturers, suppliers that also have engineering departments, but they're not, are any of them, the places you work with strictly development firms or is it all manufacturers that are doing some in-house development? We have development firms as well. So I guess here we call them IDHs, like independent design houses. But oh, okay. um, essentially, yeah, they will also, you know, if, if you have an idea and you need industrial design and then you want just one firm to kind of take it from you all the way and work with manufacturers, we, we also have those kinds of suppliers or firms in, in our network as well. Um, so depending you tend on, to go with those more for designs where you can't find a supplier that makes something similar that can be easily modified, or is it just vary on it, a case by case basis? Yeah, it kind of depends on the the need of the startup, right? So if they're looking for industrial design and something kind of new, or maybe putting multiple pieces together, right? Like, hey, I I I want to create a you know, a, a smart piece of clothing with electronics inside, then, then maybe you have to marry together a, you know, a, a wearable fabric company with like an IoT, like wireless technology company. 
Mm-hmm. So the, the design firms will be able to kind of bring those suppliers together and, and collaborate on the overall design. Whereas if it's more like, okay, I, I know exactly I want this you know, wearable technology and we happen to have a wearable manufacturer who's done something similar, then maybe just working directly with that wearable manufacturer. So it's yeah, really kind absolutely. of depending on their on their. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Does does tech design what other than matching up a uh, startup with a supplier or a manufacturer or a design house? Where where does tech design come in other than that matchup? Do you perform any level of like project management or so? Yeah. What kind of other services do you guys provide on top of just the matchup? Sure. Sure. So, so yeah, our, our goal, of course, is just to help startups and innovators get through the process, right? So I think some other services we provide, like project management, as you mentioned, let's say you've already uh, signed a contract with a manufacturer, but you're here in the U.S. and, you know, the, the supplier is all the way over in Taiwan or China, and you want someone on the ground to kind of support you. So we'll, we'll kind of do that, uh, make sure everything runs smoothly, make sure any potential issues are addressed as soon as possible. So that kind of support. I think a lot of the work before you sign the contract, we can help with there as well. So a large part of the value add, I think, is really around facilitation of the communication between the suppliers and, and the startups. I'm sure you've heard lots of stories or experienced them where it's kind of hard to get quick and clear feedback from suppliers, given there's a time lag and language barrier, et cetera, right? So us being on the ground, being able to clarify things immediately in a local language really helps the whole process move more efficiently. Oh, absolutely. Trying to manage every single detail from halfway around the world is there's a it just kind of it's it's never going to be a very efficient process. So I think if you can have someone that's more local do some of that lower level manage project management, then I definitely can see huge benefits from that. Yeah. And and so I, I used to work at Dell in, in supply chain. And whenever we had a supply shortage, the first thing we do is send people directly to the factory. And just being there on site changed things very quickly, right? They, they kind of can't ignore you. They can't make up excuses about, you know, what, why they can't produce your stuff, et cetera. So I think just being there instantly, you know, got the, <laughs> got the supply chain moving. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm curious, what type of payment, how do you guys deal with payment? Is it, is it upfront payments? Is it just a, a commission based on once you, the product it is in manufacturing? So how, yeah. how, how is your payment structure set up? Yeah, so, so there's upfront, no, no payment. And actually, there's no payment required to us from, from the start, startups or the hardware innovators, right? So if you come to us and we help you find a supplier or help you find solutions, all of that is kind of free to the, to the startups. And at no point do we, you know, say, hey, you know, you need to give us money. We'll present the options to you and then you can basically decide, hey, I want to go with this supplier or, you know, with that solution, et cetera. Ultimately, we receive our, our money from the, the suppliers uh, on the back end. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. So the, I, from what I, I get, the, I think the, the main benefit to your, to your model, especially for startups is that the, it's going to be a really low cost option because you're not doing Absolutely. in most cases development from the, from the ground up. But what other, do you see other benefits specifically for startups or for even not startups? Uh, yeah. 
yeah. using this model versus a more traditional where they, they hire a design firm or freelancers or do the design in-house? Sure, sure. Yeah, so as you mentioned, right, uh, kind of a lower cost way directly to work with suppliers. You don't need to kind of spend time or money traveling around to trade shows or auditing factories. I, I think, you know, we'll kind of do that for you. And so the verification of suppliers is something that we find is, is kind of key. So we spend um, time doing the due diligence up front of the suppliers so that the startups don't have to, right? We'll visit the supplier, their factory, meet their engineering team, check their samples. And, you know, all of that due diligence ahead of time means that you won't be ending up, you know, working with just a reseller of another company's products and not the original manufacturer. And you'll kind of also, I think when we do the whole facilitation of the process, that's another value add. I think a lot of innovators... They may be, you know, experts in software or have a great business idea or intuition, but not, not as experienced in hardware development, right? So on our end, we feel like we really understand how our suppliers like to operate, you know, what they're looking for, how they're thinking, and kind of, kind of help translate what the needs of the innovator are to the supplier. And our suppliers find this useful as well, right? We kind of help them to screen through projects and bring kind of the, the meat of what, what the innovator is looking for to them and something that they can, you know, work on and understand from the beginning and something that's they know will be worthy of their time, right? One of the biggest risks for suppliers is dealing with startups because there's a lot of effort involved and, you know, potentially more uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of one of the, the things that I provide as well. I, I work with various firms and such. And I, I know a lot of firms, they, they don't, specifically even like dealing with startups just because they'll get contacted with unrealistic expectations, uh, no realistic (laughs) expectation of cost, really no knowledge of the process of developing a product and getting it manufactured. So a lot of them will instead send those people my way to predictable designs to sort of get educated uh, on what it, what it really takes to, to get the product to market. And then that just makes it more just makes it more efficient for the, those firms. So I'll have people email me and just ask, can you recommend someone? And I'm like, well, I don't really just openly recommend other firms because that's part of the service I like to provide is I, I like to work with you first and kind of get you up to speed and then help it help you, you know, c- connect you up with that uh, supplier or firm or whatever at, at that point, once you've kind of gotten a, a little bit more education about the, the process. So I, it's kind of, kind of a similar to, to some extent. So I can definitely see that what you guys offer being a big benefit to both the supplier slash manufacturer and the startups that you're working with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think a lot of people out there with a lot of great ideas just have to kind of help them through the process and, and make sure that, you know, they're, they're moving along the right way. You know, if you kind of go too early to a supplier, it's, it's not going to work out so well. So I think yeah, the education absolutely. you provide is, is definitely very valuable. Yeah. If you're still, you know, just you've got a Yahoo email address and no business set up and you just got this vague idea for a product, that's probably not the, the time to, to reach out for suppliers and try to make a, some type of connection at that point. You need to do a little more upfront work than that. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Hey, you, you asked one other question I didn't, I didn't quite get to. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do, we, do we kind of only work with startups or, or potentially others? I think our business model is particularly attractive for startups, but we also mm-hmm. will kind of cater to hardware innovators from all sorts, right? So it could be SMEs or, or large enterprises, and maybe they, you know, 
have like a software service provider who wants to add a hardware component to their to their business or you know a large industrial that wants to implement an IoT solution in their own factories for all those kinds of things we we can also help. Gotcha, gotcha. There may be a, a few of those in, in my audience. It's it's mostly going to be startups and solo entrepreneurs and small companies, even though I, I kind of teach things from the standpoint of a hardware startup. There's also just lots of small companies that I work with that are established companies so that they have the business side, but they're say they're developing a new product. They've never developed a new product before. They've just been selling existing products. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, kind of something similar. Okay. I know that you, we also wanted to touch on, you've got sort of various tips on how to pick a supplier. And this is something that I did a podcast on a couple months ago. I had a, a couple of the experts in the academy on the podcast, and we talked about ways of assessing suppliers. So we touched on this some in the past, but I, it's it's something that you you can't talk about too often, I don't think, because it's it's such a a critical decision that you have to make picking the right supplier. So yeah, so let's maybe, can we take a look at some of these recommendations that you have for picking the right supplier? We can just kind of uh, run through the list that you've put together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so first off, I, I think the most important thing and something I've heard you touch on as well is, you know, picking the right scale of supplier. I, I think we've all heard of, you know, Foxconn and Pegatron, you know, these types of, top tier, you know, yeah. full suite industry leading suppliers that serve like Apple and Dell, et cetera. Well, their, their business is really built on driving economies of scale. So while these ODMs can, you know, certainly meet your needs, they might not provide the best service because their KPIs are really centered around building their capacities. Startups probably won't do. So it would be hard to even to get them interested in your business. And then, you know, if you do, your project probably gets deprioritized if any of the big customers have issues. So what we found is, you know, a smaller scale supplier where your business, uh, or at least the future potential of your business is meaningful to them, will provide you with much better attention and responsiveness. Such suppliers will be more willing to invest their time and resources in your project as they have a larger vested interest. So number one, just picking the right scale. Definitely. I definitely have to agree with that one. You don't want to be the little fish in a big pond. Otherwise you, you, you just get completely ignored once anything of, you know, a higher priority comes up. Yeah. And uh, uh, okay. Second one, uh, which seems fairly obvious, but you know, pick suppliers with the requisite technology and experience, right? So find a supplier that has products or cost projects with a technology that's similar to the one that you're looking to create. They'll know ahead of time what the potential design issues are and they can, even leverage their previous work to deliver what you want more quickly and uh, potentially at lower cost. Yeah. And I, I just want to clarify that it's find a manufacturer that makes products with similar technology, but it doesn't have to be the exact same product or the exact same market, as long as they have the, the manufacturing process set up to manufacture that type of product. That's that's really what I think is the, the most important and not that they produce the product very you know in the same category as your product. Sure, sure, sure. Obviously, the closer the closer you can get to what you're looking for, the better. And we kind of we'll look at that when we help to match you, right? Yeah, I think in, in general what you said is correct. Okay. Third one, I think one that is sometimes overlooked is really pick a supplier that shows interest in you as well. So just as you wouldn't want to be in a relationship with someone that doesn't love you, you don't want to partner with a supplier that isn't interested in you, no matter how perfect they may seem, right? 
and their enthusiasm in your project will translate directly into how much attention and support they provide you throughout the project. A supplier could even be willing to invest into your project if they find your technology you know, aligns with the direction they're headed or they see a lot of potential in your product and you know, they could provide a better price for that. But similarly, you know, if, if they aren't as interested, they might give you a higher price right? because then they'll say, well, you know, this isn't exactly what we want to do and, and give you a worse price. To so really pay attention to how eagerly the supplier is responding to your inquiries, how much research and attention to detail uh, they've done on your project. Yeah, I definitely agree with that one as well. And for my my own product for the manufacturer, I had uh, just reached out to various manufacturers and one had come back and essentially said that, you know, we get pitched products constantly all the time by entrepreneurs and we ignore 99% of them, but we feel your product really has a lot of potential. And so that sort of, that was the the initial connected up. They were already really interested in the product. They even, at the time I lived in Alaska, their general manager came to Alaska to meet wow. with me while he was, he also got a vacation out of it. So I think it was a tax <laughs> write-off, but all this ended turning into such great terms. They gave me payment terms, which are really, really rare of net 90 days. So that allowed me... Wow. That solved all my cash flow problems because it allowed me to get paid by the retailers I was selling to, which typically pay in 30 to 45 days. So I was able to collect all that money before I had to pay the manufacturer, which was essentially them giving me you know, a loan on a, a, reg- a consistent basis. So that was huge. Yeah. And then they also funded all of my injection molds, which was a little over $100,000, where they amortized that cost and spread that out at believe it was a, a dollar extra per unit I had to, to pay on the first 100,000 units. So I would have never gotten the, that type, those types of payment terms or uh, their willingness to actually invest in the product if they hadn't started the, the conversation. They didn't, if it, they hadn't started by loving the product and then also being impressed with me. I, th- I think, uh, I think, and for a lot of startups, it's really the founders that are more important than the product to a lot of people. Investors, for instance, always, they're usually more interested in the founders than they are the product. So I, I totally agree. You need to find a company that believes in your product and believes in you. And then that's just going to open up more possibilities, I think, going forward. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but I think the, the point you mentioned there about them being impressed with you I think that's that's really important, right? I, I think we often think of, you know, hey, the suppliers are, you know, we're the customer. They they need to, you know, do whatever we say. We're the customer, right? And, and I think it's really more like a partnership kind of mindset, right? And so when you go to a supplier, the more you can impress them, the better impression you make. I think the more they'll want to work with you. So it's really kind of a two-way two-way thing. There. Yeah, because you're not really a customer until you're in manufacturing and producing product on a consistent basis. As as you know, they yeah. they don't make any money. You know, they're just spending money on on all this initial upfront stuff of sending you samples and giving you quotes and doing design <laughs> yeah. changes. That's not where they they make their money. They make the money when the product's successful and they're they're cranking out a bunch of them. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So what's your next tip? Find suppliers that you find it easy to communicate and work with. Again, seems seems obvious, but I think people may think, okay, I'm just suppliers' credentials are the most important. But picking someone that you work well with is even more important, right? If every time you're communicating, it becomes this kind of 
arduous back and forth, you'll quickly become frustrated and your project will probably fall behind schedule. So just like in life, you know, you may find some suppliers easy to work with. So trust your gut in those experiences. Absolutely. You have to communicate with them for so uh, so many details so often and for so long. So you definitely, definitely want to make sure that you're able to communicate with them. If you find everything you're saying is getting mixed up and there's confusion and that's uh, just going to be a recipe for disaster later on. So uh, try to, I, I, I totally agree. You need to try to spot that early on and go with those that communicate well. Yeah. Fifth one, properly audit uh, your suppliers. So I think in the past, I might have said, hey, go visit the suppliers, you know, audit their factory, meet them face to face. I think this helps convey the commitment you're making towards the business as well, which I think is important. But I think uh-huh. in today's kind of world, right, uh, with coronavirus, the, the alternative, right, is to get a trusted referral from other people that have worked with them that can audit the suppliers on your behalf. You can also ask for like a live video session or a virtual factory tour. Maybe that helps you get a better feel for suppliers. Yeah, even without the coronavirus, a lot of startups, they don't have the the skills or the expertise to really audit a factory. They can Mm -hmm. go see it and see that it's a real factory and it's reputable and they're producing product, but it's not something that I I think a lot of entrepreneurs are going to have the skills to really be able to audit a factory properly. Yeah. So is that is that something that that tech design does? I, I assume the 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 companies that are in your network that you've partnered with have you already done audits of all of these these manufacturers, or do you do them on a per project basis, or is that not something that you guys do? Well, so as I mentioned, the supplier verification part is is one thing that we we do. So we'll we'll go visit the supplier and their factory. We'll talk with the engineering team. You know, we'll check over their samples, look at their ISOs and whatnot. So we, we do do that. If there's something very detailed and specific that you're looking for, you know, maybe we haven't uh, audited every aspect, but we generally ensure that they're a you know, well-functioning business, right? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's little things you may have to audit or check on on a per-project basis, but yeah, yeah. the main point is is you, you've done sort of a more generalized audit of the factory, so you Exactly. You know, the we've record. kind of looked over their, you know, their equipment list, make sure we know what kind of services they can provide, et cetera. So well, what they're saying they can do is something they can actually do. You know, not I mean, like that's that. such a huge benefit because it's, there are thousands, tens of thousands, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of suppliers in, in China that it's, uh, it's pretty overwhelming to even try to find one. And then, you know, so many of them say they're the manufacturer, but you really find out they're just a, a middle person. They're not the actual, you know, they're not the one actually making the product. So it's, it's difficult to, to know what you've, what you've got without an, an audit um, like you guys have done. So I think that's a, exactly. a big benefit. Exactly. And, and I, I think that's kind of why we, this whole concept makes sense to us, right? Because as I mentioned, right, it's, it's really not the big ODMs that you know about that you want to find. It's kind of the, the smaller size ones, but then the smaller size ones are the ones that are actually hard to find, right? And hard to yeah, know absolutely. Like, if they're trustworthy or not, right? So it's kind of in this smaller mid-tier size level that, that we think that this kind of a matching really needs, needs some facilitation. Yeah, that seems like that's so critical. Obviously, as you've kind of highlighted, you don't want a manufacturer that's so big that you're going to be ignored, but you also obviously don't want a brand new manufacturer who you're their sole or their largest customer. It's uh, kind of 
somewhere in between that seems like a, a sweet spot. And I know with my manufacturer at the time, they, they weren't at full capacity. And that also kind of forces them to be a little more open to taking risk or looking into, uh, you know, new projects if they're, if they're not at full capacity. Is that, is the, the capacity of the factory something that you guys take into account when you're sort of matching up suppliers? Sure. I, I think typically startups aren't, aren't at a large enough scale or their quantities, at least that we've seen, aren't, aren't enough that it kind of tips over and says, well, I don't have enough capacity. But certainly if, if it's a big project, then we would, we would look into the capacity of a factory and make sure that there's enough there. Yeah, not so much that I don't think they would be worried about being able to handle the capacity of the entrepreneur's product. It's more if their factory is running at 100% capacity, then they don't need new they don't need new products to manufacture, so they're not going to be very accommodating. Versus if they have this factory and they're only at 30% capacity and they've got all this manufacturing capacity just sitting there, uh, then that could be that can really play to your advantage. That they'll from my experience, they're going to be a lot more willing to negotiate and work with you in that case. But. Absolutely. And, and I, think, I think that's part of the, the facilitation process at the beginning. So you may remember I mentioned that we, we kind of check for interest on both sides. Uh-huh. And sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll pitch a, a project to the supplier and, and it could be they're not interested or it could be, hey, you know, we're, we're kind of full at the moment. We've got our hands full with, with the work we have. So gotcha. we're not interested. And I think so their capacity is sort of is sort of taken into account based on their interest level. If they're, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. But recently we had a number of um, projects that were kind of in the healthcare area uh, for obvious reasons. And, and a lot of those, those manufacturers were just like, Hey, we're, we're so busy producing and shipping stuff right now that we can't really take on, on new projects. Right? So you'll, you'll get some of that sometimes as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Okay, so what are we on? We're, I think, number maybe six? Six, yep, the last one. Again, fairly straightforward, but, you know, find suppliers with familiarity, shipping products to your target market. If they have that experience in the country you're planning to sell, they'll understand kind of what certifications and regulations, et cetera, to keep in mind. So that's always okay. a plus. Yeah, I think that that's a really good one. I like that one. I think that's that's definitely important because that's something that you're going to probably you need expertise in is the certifications for where you're selling. So if your manufacturer has been selling products into the U.S. and that's where you want to go with your product, then obviously they're familiar with FCC and IEC yeah. and UL and all the different certifications required. Exactly. Um, exactly. Although I suspect most manufacturers are going to probably know those for the U.S., but they may not if you're selling strictly to New Zealand, for instance, or something like that, a smaller country. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, great. Okay. So those were the six tips for how to pick a supplier. So I think those are, those are really good. Next, we kind of wanted to talk about under how, why it's important to understand the, the sort of the supplier's mindset. So can you maybe uh, touch on that? What, what, why is that important and what do we need to consider when looking at that? Sure. And I, and I think we kind of alluded to it earlier, but it's really kind of this partnership mindset, I, I think, that, that you have to have in mind because the supplier also has a finite amount of resources that you know, they need to deploy wisely to maximize their business, right? So suppliers are constantly considering, hey, is this startup um, worth the resources that I'd have to invest into it, right? Because startups, by definition, carry more 
uncertainties than kind of an established business. You know, uncertainties course, around yes. funding, the business direction, you know, whether or not it achieves what it what it kind of plans, right? So you're more likely, in some sense, when working with startups, to have interruptions due to those aspects. You could be more likely to have to spend time explaining details and aligning on details because they're just kind of unfamiliar with the development process, right? So this extra risk, in some sense, suppliers need to evaluate before they, they engage uh, with startups. I have a few, I guess, red flags, I think, that suppliers will look for and something that startups can, can kind of be aware of. Because if, if a supplier sees these kinds of red flags, then, then it, it might turn them away from your business. Okay. Okay, that sounds good. Um, what, are, what are some of those? So first, you know, if, if your your technical specifications and requirements aren't clear, right? If, if you're, and I think that's part of the benefit of the hardware academy to get kind of specific and knowledgeable about that. But if if you are kind of vague, then the, the startup will, uh, the supplier will feel like the startup doesn't really understand the technology and will have to really invest a lot of time to clarify, explain, align all those details. And there's more likelihood for misalignments later on. And so it's much as you can be very clear up front exactly what you're what you're looking for. Yes, of course. Okay. Secondly, if your market research, your business plan's not very robust, right? I think again, this will suggest to the supplier that you might not be as competent, right? Or maybe your product might not be successful. So really making a positive impression about, hey, this is this is what we what we're intending to do. This is the the market behind it, the idea. I think all of that helps. Yeah, I think that is so important. And that's something I'm always encouraging startups because so many of them, they just want to, they want to jump right into development. They think that's the first step. I got to get to the prototype. And that's not uh, really where you should start. And companies that know about startups know that you need to do market research and you need to have a plan. This isn't really something you can just wing it. So, so yeah, I think that's, that's a good one. You need to you need to do your upfront work and, and show that you're that you're serious and that you are going to do what it takes to get the product uh, to market, make it a success. Yep, absolutely. Okay, what's what's the next one? The next one, if a startup comes in and they, they kind of want everything in the world, right? They have all the functions all baked into one product, right? And it, and it's actually kind of unrealistic. I think then the startup will say, "Well, hey, they're not really focused." You know, they, <laughs> they they need to focus really on what are the main features they're trying to solve. I think this is another red flag that will kind of make startups, he- uh, sorry, suppliers hesitate. Absolutely. And that's that's been a, an area where I've been really uh, emphasizing a lot lately just because I've seen the benefits of it. And that's especially new people coming into the hardware academy is I, I'm really encouraging people to share your, your product concept, all the details, and let's work together and see if there's a way to simplify it. And there are so Absolutely. many cases where, you know, one, one project that was presented in the academy recently, we made all these uh, recommendations and I think we probably cut the development cost maybe down by $50,000 by the time we got to market. So instead of producing at two individual products. He was only going to have to manufacture one. So just some very, not basic simplifications, but understanding the full big picture. What are, what are the impacts of all these little features down the road? It, it's really easy just to uh, throw every feature that you can into the product, but that's obviously uh, usually not a good recipe and you're just going to, you're going to bog yourself down and never make it to market. So I, I, emphasize and I stress that you need to simplify that product as much as possible. And there's so many ways uh, to do that without necessarily 
changing the, the end functionality of the product, like the case that I mentioned, where we lowered his cost drastically. The, to the consumer, it was pretty much the same product. There was one really kind of cool feature that wasn't necessary that we eliminated, and that's what had all that impact. Or another one was a video product that he wanted 1080p video, uh, high-def video, and then we explained, well, it's going to probably drastically lower your development costs and everything if you just go down to 720p HD video for lots of technical reasons. But the point is, is these simplifications, if you can do them early on, are going to be hugely beneficial. And like you're saying, this is something that suppliers are look for to, to understand if the product is, is reasonable. If you think yeah. you're going to develop a product that's going to, I don't know, go land on the moon or something, that's obviously <laughs> not a feasible product that you're you're going to be able to do with a, any type of limited budget. So yeah. simplify, simplify, simplify. I definitely agree. Very good. Okay. Very good. Last one here. You know, if, if a startup's product isn't clearly differentiated or maybe they're using a technology that's a bit outdated, I think that's also a red flag and probably a, a problem, you know, with the product. But suppliers often know what the latest designs, the technology and their kind of space are. So if they're seeing a product with not a lot of differentiating factor, then they're going to have a hard time seeing it, how it will be successful, particularly if they see the technology moving kind of a different direction from what the startup is. And this can also yeah. be you know, part of the good part in some way of, of speaking directly with suppliers because they'll often know, you know what's, what's happening. Okay. Okay. Those are, I think those are, those are good things to uh, keep in mind. All of those are really good points. They're going to be, uh, I think, really important. Um, yeah. I can. So I wanted, to, unless you had another point on that, I wanted to touch on because you guys are, are based in the Taipei, right, Taiwan. Right. So I kind of wanted to talk about manufacturing in Taiwan and yeah. the advantages of that. Sort of the, you know, the but yeah. Let's talk about the advantages of manufacturing in Taiwan and what Taiwan has to offer. Sure, sure. So I, I think we we have. Uh, suppliers both in Taiwan and China. We ourselves are based in Taiwan. And I think, I, I feel, you know, I don't know if this is correct or not, but Taiwan is largely overlooked when, when people think about electronics manufacturing. I think the, the first thought is always China. So I do think there's a, a lot of positive sides to, to Taiwan that are kind of worth um, yeah, and, and I do too. And I, I think a lot of people do just instantly associate China. Unless you're someone that's really got a lot of manufa or manufacturing experience with electronics, then you may not you jump to China and you may think of Taiwan. But Yeah. So electronics is, is a huge industry in, in Taiwan, right? I think we, it, it's, you know, roughly a third of our industrial output is in electronics and information technology. We export like $140 billion a year which is, you know, something like over 5% of the global total of electronics industries exports. It puts us about number six in the world. Wow. Um, we have a lot of kind of great companies that you've probably heard of, like, you know, ODMs like Foxconn and Pegatron and then TSMC, like the leading semiconductor manufacturer. And then we also have a lot of niche companies, I think, that, that people haven't heard of, but that are really market leaders in their particular segments, right? For example, there's a company called AFC or Asiatic Fiber Corporation, and they specialize in like high function fiber materials. And then another one called Unlimited Here, and they have like really leading edge um, in terms of uh, hearing technology, and they have you know, tons of 95 worldwide patents, et cetera. So there's just a lot of like smaller type technology leaders that you haven't even heard of uh, producing great electronics in, in Taiwan. 
some other just interesting stats I thought I'd throw out there. In terms of the number of patents per capita, Taiwan has the highest in the world. Roughly a quarter of, of the college degrees are for engineering every year. So oh. just a ton of engineering talent in Taiwan. And a lot of the major tech companies are opening R&D centers in Taiwan to take advantage of this. Google's and Apple's and Dell, I mean, all will have a lot of R&D here. I also assume Taiwan, I I know I always hear about South Korea being like number one as far as internet speeds. Is is that, uh, I'm curious if Taiwan's in in that list. I suspect that they're pretty high up there. I don't have that exact stats, but I've never had any issue with my internet speed. Yeah, yeah. I think it is pretty good, yeah. And then interestingly, just the other day, IMD releases like a world competitiveness ranking and Taiwan mm-hmm. came in number 11, uh, US was number 10. So, you know, it's, it's just not, a, not, not often thought of, but it's, it is kind of world leading in a lot of aspects. Okay. Yeah, I think that's some good points. And, and I, I know with, especially with the US-China trade wars, I, I've read a lot about various companies and have talked to people that are involved in it that are sort of migrating some of their manufacturing or at least sort of maybe the end level manufacturing from China to Taiwan in an effort to sort of bypass some of the the tariffs that the U.S. has placed on imports from China. Do you, do you have any input on that? Is that something you can talk a bit about? Yeah, yeah. So, so certainly, you know, with a trade war, if you're having to pay, you know, 25% extra tax, that can significantly increase your costs, right? So yeah. <laughs> if you move a portion of your production, and, and it'll vary kind of by the product, but we did have a, a customer who, who moved their manufacturing assembly part to Taiwan, and it made, made business sense for them, right? Specifically for, the, for their U.S. market products, right? And we helped them transition, find a supplier, manufacturer in Taiwan, and do the assembly for them here, and it saved them uh, a bunch of money, right? And I think they're now considering you know, moving more parts of the, of the supply chain to Taiwan as well. So certainly that is a strategy to, to kind of avoid tariffs if you can move your, your at least the very end or some part of it to, to Taiwan. Yeah. Although, you know, for listeners of this, especially if you're early on in the process, this probably isn't a, a real critical point because I'm, I'm hopeful that, the, that these tariffs are only temporary. Uh, but I mean, I don't. I don't I don't know, but I'm, I'm hopeful that it's hard to imagine a 25% tariff can really last uh, long term, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to speculate on politics. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to speculate or even talk about politics, but, yeah, but, uh, but it's cert- yeah. I, I think certainly, you know, it's an option and Taiwan does have, you know, we are very export oriented. We, we have had a uh, good relationship with the U.S. So it is certainly an option if, if you want to you know, potentially mitigate any of those kinds of risks in the future. Gotcha. One, one last thing I, I want to uh, touch on bef- before, we, before we go is the, the, I'm curious about how the, the COVID-19 pandemic, how that has impacted manufacturing in Taiwan. Obviously, when it first hit China, there was a huge impact because no one could get boards or inventory or anything from, from China. That's obviously settled down, I think, at least for now. Hopefully, there's not a second wave coming uh, for them, although probably. <laughs> so I'm curious how, uh, w- what are the impacts right now on the, the COVID-19? And do you see this being long-term effects as far as from electronics manufacturing? Sure. So if, if I think about the activities a startup often engages in, in hardware development, right? Particularly if you're, if you're looking for a, a manufacturer yourself, I think, you know, 
attending trade shows. This was often a way that you'd meet suppliers and kind of explore opportunities working together. You know, the factory visits where you know, after you've developed your shortlist of suppliers, you go and visit their facility, etc. You know, doing pilot run inspections before mass reduction, just being on site to make sure everything was good and inspecting kind of a golden sample. That was all standard procedure. Um, doing development deep dives, right? If, if you really need to get into critical areas of technology or engineering uh, to clarify that. And even just troubleshooting, right? If there was a major development setback, you know, being on site was often the quickest way to solve those issues. I feel like a lot of those activities currently aren't, aren't entirely feasible, right? And so I, I think there's, you know, just as the world has kind of learned to work more virtually, I think some of these activities you can shift online. You know, as, as I mentioned before, you can get referrals or we even let companies like Tech Design help you find suppliers, right? Or finding, hiring local resources to help manage the projects on the ground for you to, to do the pilot run inspections or troubleshooting, et cetera. You know, I think all of those are, are kind of new ways of, of doing hardware development and potentially even better ways kind of going forward, right? Having someone constantly there, fluent in both languages, helping facilitate, speed up the communication, you know, limiting our own travel. I think that's, that's you know, potentially more efficient and good for the environment as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely agree. Regardless of COVID, I, I think referrals are always highly beneficial if you can get them, whether that's for the developer, manufacturer, supplier, whoever. It's it's always best to, to get referrals. Otherwise, you're just sort of guessing or trying to pick someone when you don't have necessarily the prior experience to be able to, to, to judge them. So I always highly encourage uh, you to seek out referrals from other people that have uh, had success with that company. So I think that's good advice. Okay, well, Charles, this is, I'm sorry, did you have uh, something else you wanted to say? Yeah, I, I didn't quite address your question around the, the supply chain, if it's, if it's how it's been operating in, in the wake of COVID-19. Oh, okay, yeah. Huh? Yeah, so just, just quickly, you know, I, I think when it first happened, as you know, many factories in China did shut down for a time, but I, I think pretty much all of them are back working and pretty much at full capacity at this point. In Taiwan specifically, we never had a shutdown to begin with. We, we've kind of done a, a very good job of containing things. It's been business as usual, so suppliers are certainly ready to engage. There were some suppliers that have like shifted to do health or medical products, and, and some of the suppliers in the healthcare segment, as I mentioned, are you know more swamped shipping orders rather than developing new products. But overall, you know, I think the supply chain is is ready for you know business. So. Yeah. And I, I believe hasn't Taiwan, they, they kind of have, they're having, uh, they're, they're doing, seeming to do better with the virus uh, from what I recall seeing than a lot of other countries. Is, is that correct? Yeah. So overall we've had less than 450 cases and oh my gosh. seven deaths total. I think we had, my wife was telling me just in Arizona, I think yesterday it was like almost 2,500 new cases in one day. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, and we, not, not especially I mean, proud of that stat being in Arizona. I've done my share. All I can say is I've done my share. I've been in quarantine. So, yeah. So we, we've, we've not had any domestic transmission in 65 days and only 55 total domestic transmission cases overall. So the vast majority of those were just people coming back to Taiwan that had been infected. So I, I think everyone here is very good about, you know, following kind of the rules, wearing masks. We, we wear masks at work, et cetera. But we've never had kind of shutdown in terms of business or, or lockdown at, 
kind of uh, in that aspect. Yeah, the, the countries where it's more, I guess, culturally acceptable or expected to wear a mask, that's definitely been beneficial compared to the U.S. where we're probably the most anti-wearing a mask. So, so yeah, I think that's been a, a benefit to, to Taiwan. So, so that, that's good to know that hopefully if there are other waves hitting other countries, then Taiwan has kind of already proven that they're going to probably be one of the better countries at dealing with it. So the impacts on manufacturing are less. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, hopefully, you know, we, we get to, through this soon, but but <laughs> yeah, Ta- Taiwan certainly is, is I, I feel pretty confident that we'll stay open and, and are ready to keep, you know, helping uh, startups. So yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, I think it, yeah, I think they're going to, they, they seem to be doing well. So I, it seems like a pretty safe place to, to have manufacturing done. Okay. Well, Great. Charles, if there's uh, nothing, if, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before I kind of say goodbye? No, I, I think, I think those are kind of a lot of the topics uh, I wanted to discuss and I, I think we've, we've covered them all. So Thank yeah, I think you. this is really good. We kind of hit on a, a, a wide variety of topics. So this is uh, this has been really helpful call. I, I appreciate you sharing all the various tips and also just telling us about tech design and uh, sort of your approach to development. So anyone that's especially, I guess, finance limited, I could see this being definitely a beneficial path to getting the product developed. And even if you're not you know, severely financially limited, I'm always a, a big proponent of minimize your risk as much as possible and get that product to market as fast and cheap as you can. So whatever, whatever method that takes to make that happen is usually going to be the best one, I think. So so can you maybe, obviously the website is techdesign.com. So I'll go ahead and say that. Is there any other information you want to provide as far as reaching out to you or anything like that? Or should they uh, just go through, is there a contact form on tech design or should they reach out to you personally? Or Yeah, I think either way works. Uh, if you go onto techdesign.com and then you know go to the harder developments and projects section, you can just go ahead and submit a, a project request and then we'll, we'll start working with you right away if you, if you alternatively you want to reach out to me directly i'll leave my my contact information always happy to to talk to new people yeah we, we'd love to hear from you i mean again okay, that sounds great to- also i've invited charles to come into the academy so as one of the experts in there on supply chain management and such so you can also reach out to him if you're a member you can reach out to him inside the academy Okay. Well, Charles, uh, thank you so much for doing this again. I appreciate you uh, getting up early. I know it's early there. So thank you so much for doing this and I'll, I'll talk to you soon. No, thank you, John. It's a pleasure. Okay. All right. Have a good day. All right. Bye-bye. That's it for today. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Predictable Designs podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then definitely check out the hardwareacademy.com where you can get support from myself and other experts to help you successfully get your product developed and on the market. We have experts in electronics design, enclosure design, prototyping, certifications, manufacturing, marketing, startups, and sales. You even get private one-on-one consulting directly with me. The Hardware Academy also includes a highly active and incredibly helpful community of other hardware entrepreneurs with a wide range of experience and skills. No longer do you have to go at it all alone. Now you have a community of experts on your team. You'll also get regular in-depth training courses, workshops, product teardowns, and resources to help you succeed with your product. Finally, you get access to my list of recommended developers, suppliers, and manufacturers. Check out the Hardware Academy today at thehardwareacademy.com.